thank you to the Patreon supporters of the What We Remember podcast. Stephanie O, Nathan E, Jacqueline M, Matthew J, Paul and Sandy J, Sarah P, a.k.a. Situational Daddy on Instagram, and Big Time Jim. And you too can get your name right at the beginning of every episode by going to patreon.com slash what we remember and pledging a monthly amount to help the show. Thanks. We talk about movies. I thought we That's ta- what we do. I thought we ranked we chips about on this show. Movies. That's on the other show that we do. What? Andy Loves Chips, this which you can you find guys, on its own you, network. You guys have another show without me? You're on it. What? When, when did that happen? Is this one of those like Today? weird backdoor plugs oh. that we talked about not doing anymore? You talked about not doing I didn't even know the show existed. <laughs> I never had a great time. I mean, someone's got to talk about our show if it's not us. You know, who was going to do it? No one. Because this is our show. <laughs> our show. That's Which, what uh, it is. What is, what is that? <laughs> I, oh, I was, I was doing a theme song for this uh, little bit. Oh, Ooh, I liked it. I, I liked it. Yeah. Didn't pay attention. You got to add some music, though, to it. That was mm. good. Because I don't, I don't know how to do that. Because this is our show. Our show. Our show. That's what it is. <laughs> Brad will find some of that nice, you know, Fruity Loops royalty free stuff. Get free. it on there. Also, you whistled just then a little does, bit. Does Fruity Loops still exist? Is that a it thing? Does? Yes, it does. It does. Okay. I know for a fact it does. Wow. But it's uh, it's not new. There's no new versions. Of okay. It. But it's also under a, another version name. I like think. A, no, yeah, another product yeah. line probably. Yeah. yeah. Adobe probably bought it at some. They own everything. They're like the Disney of software. <laughs> they really. Ugh. And who owns them? Amazon. <laughs> Is that true? No. <laughs> no, but like. They own Amazon owns like a ton of shit. Oh, well, yeah. oh sure. Twitch. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. They own that. Mm-hmm. They own Amazon. Oh, whoa! Yeah. Did you guys know That's that? Huge. They're gonna own every mall in America soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> including Mall of America. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have all the grocery stores too. Yeah, oh, that's where they got oh, Whole, Foods. Whole, Foods. Whole Foods. Whole Foods. Yeah. I didn't know there was another versions of Whole Foods too. Yep. Yeah, it, Half Foods. There's like a there's like a phony Whole Foods. <laughs> there's a Fresh Time. Fake Fresh foods. Time. Fresh Time. Yeah. Oh no, Fresh Time's great. Yeah, they it's Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's like one of the cleanest. Look, stores. if I can shop at a at a Whole Foods that's not owned by Amazon, I'll do it. It's great. I, I, it's super expensive though. You, mm. Their meat selection. How much nice. is their asparagus water? Does I, who remembers that one, guys? Mm. Wow, someone watched John Oliver Woo! from like two years ago. <laughs> My name is Bradley Jones. Should we go on that? <laughs> no. My name is Andrew Moldenauer. And I'm Andy Hubert. And this is not a movie review podcast, but a podcast where we try to remember what happened in a movie that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. And this is what we remember about American Psycho. Were there two or three bad guys in Home Alone? And who was that forgetful in Finding Nemo. Join us as we're watching films. See what we remember and what memories we kill. Let's start the show. Here we go. This is what we remember. Which is one of your favorite movies. I'm going to have Gotta to return yeah. some video this tapes. Is gonna, it's going <laughs> to be tough for me to uh, uh, disentangle the movie from just Andrew Moldenhauer's love. You're going to make movie. so many references that are going to go over both of our heads. It was a great <laughs> Halloween costume you did when you went as Bateman. Oh, yeah. I mean, super easy. You just got to wear it is. the trench coat. bloody poncho. And, yeah, you gotta Although wear, you got to wear a suit. You and talked a about coat. how hard it was to get fake blood to stick to a plastic poncho and that it was. <laughs> 
That's true. It just all leaked. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This movie's wonderful. Yeah. Directed great. by a female director, too. Yeah. I forget her name, but she didn't do many other films. Mm. And it didn't make sense because like this movie was so popular. So. Yeah. So I was like, why I mean, didn't that's you the story movies? That's the story. I was actually just looking at this because I, I was looking at like my, my list of like top ten favorite directors, and there's only like one or two women on that list and i was like man why aren't hmm. there more like you know franchise women film directors and i'm looking and there's so many times where they're like make a hit movie and then just never have another one yeah and, and or they just get moved to just producer roles and that's it and you're like what happened here and like mm-hmm. i'm sure that's just part of the hollywood system and all not glory. to plug another podcast but how this get made did a really good episode on punisher war zone who was directed who was the first female director to do a comic book movie mm. and she talks about like the process of like the hiring and how they were going to use other directors but like they were too expensive and she was just like right under the the budget for them and that's like the turning point for yeah. getting her and like, but hmm. she made all these great movies and, but yeah, it's like, yeah, you wow. see a lot of like guys will make a mediocre film and then staff like four more mediocre yeah. films. And then you have like, Brian Singer has made like four other movies since his allegations came. Right. Joel Schumacher. Too. <laughs> it's like, there's Joel so Schumacher many... had some hits. And then you like, there's like the only choice you have. There's like Catherine Bigelow and like Greta Gerwig. And those are both very recent yeah. directors. There's like Catherine Bigelow has been around for a little while. Yeah. Well, yeah, since the eighties, but Juno Temple, I thought was that her name? Not Juno Temple. Uh, the girl who made Juno. What's her oh, name? Oh, Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody. I thought oh, was going to yeah. make some movies. She wrote she it though, right? Yeah, she she wrote it. She wrote. I think she. she I think she directed, directed a movie Jennifer's after body after that. Yeah, yeah right. right. Which no one saw. I thought she was on the track to doing stuff, but <laughs> hmm. she did do some writing though. I think. Yeah, yeah she, I'm she, sure. she she wrote like a couple writing. other movies mm-hmm. that I I can't recall. But this is based off a book, which I've also. Listen to on audiobook. Audible. It does uh, Christian Bale do the voiceover? <laughs> no, I don't know who does the voiceover, but it, it's still good. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still classic. You you definitely get the tone of Patrick Bateman throughout the entire book. Brett Easton Ellis has a very distinct writing style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very focused on consumerism the entire book. Yeah, so it's this a, is a lot of his. Uh, so I mean, I, again, I, I'm not super familiar with. The material aside from that, it's sort of like a alternate take of the original, not the original Psycho, but like it's just such a kind of a Wall Streety. Yeah, it's like that meets Wall Street. Wall and, Street and with they, a murderer. They tell an, uh, the story in a similar, like the characters name the same, and they're a murderer, but like everything else about the setting has changed. So I'm really interested to kind of revisit this one. And, yeah, and now, I, think I think that's now probably that I like the only more. reference to Psycho. Yeah, I'm kind of curious how that ended up even coming about just as yeah. the book. Was the book called American Psycho? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it came out in 1990. Um, he had done. He was a. He wrote a coming of age teen. Uh, book yeah. What was that, that movie called? Movie. That was called the Saint Elmo's Fire. It, it's like that. It's, it's like, not, the but it's not exact. that. Yes, <laughs> but it's like has that same vibe. Hmm. I read that book too. I just forget what it is. Uh, I'm blanking on it, but it's like it was really famous. Yeah. 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 They made it into a movie, and mm-hmm. then I know exactly. I think he wrote American Psycho like right after that. Mm-hmm. He <sighs> he got like yuppie Americana. That's right. That's mm, like his. That's like, what he was. Yeah, he's like narrows I think. In. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, White kids who do drugs in big mansions and have parties. Yeah. What is that movie? What called? is that movie? Dreamer? The Dreamers? No, <laughs> something no. like that. No, no, no. Mm. No, that's a that's a French film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's. I thought it had something like that. I want to say Outsiders, but it's like in that same vein. Yeah, I can't. Oh, man. Are you going to Google it? Should I? I don't Wait, know. Wait, I can't do that. Well, we never do that two. on this podcast. No, we don't. Not in part one. We got to figure out that in part two. But let's jump into the movie. 
But Matthew McCarthy's in that movie that you're talking about, so that's why I like. I don't. I hope no one expects us Andrew to actually McCarthy. address this in that's part right. two because we'll say we're going to get to a Rob part Lowe. two and then we'll forget about it by the time we actually get around to part two. It's about a. It's about a kid. <laughs> I know he's exactly. He's taking a lot of cocaine. About. <laughs> I know exactly. I've seen he's, this. Film. He's gonna. He's like dying or something. Oh, I don't know. Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> it's got a name like that, which is like kind of hard to remember i think or well, let's move on let's do it so what do you guys remember about american psycho i remember that there are some big time actors that show up and then go we, go we probably should things. start there reesey witherspoon that's true this yes is reesey witherspoon reese witherspoon <laughs> from pleasantville yeah which is episode like three of our podcast mm-hmm. got christian bale christian uh, bailing out <sighs> this boat's filling with water someone get the bailing wow and uh, Jared Leto? Jared Leto is oh, in this movie. Yep. He is in this movie. And then a bunch of people that like were too early to be in Mad Men auditions, but they were in a ton of <laughs> Mad Men-esque things. I want to say Justin Theroux, but there's just like six people that look like him, probably. He's yeah, like they all kind of look buddies. like Justin Theroux. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of wrong. them might be Justin Theroux. I don't know. And that's I know that's kind of the point. It's so funny. I call, I call his cousin Louis Theroux, and then I call him... Justin Theroux, <laughs> but it's the same last name because they're related. What? <laughs> Louis Theroux is like a fun baseball player's name. It kind of is. Maybe it's Justin Theroux. Ooh. But he pronounces it different. Anyway. Anyway. I don't think he's in this movie. No. And there's two girls who... He was in Mulholland Drive, same uh, year. <laughs> who are uh, f- pretty famous. I don't know their names off the top of my head. I'm trying what? to... Um... A blonde girl and a redhead girl who show up later. Right, I don't, th- I don't know who they are exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then a lot of mirrors and a lot of uh, Huey Lewis and uh... <laughs> yep, a lot of Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, he's got to talk about his favorite music. He's got like the crazy ass apartment. Mm-hmm. Yep, the loft that's like six million dollars, but six hundred square feet. <laughs> Classic. What do you remember, Andy? I remember there's like I the the scene that sticks out in my head the most is when like him and his coworkers are like comparing business cards oh, yeah. or like bragging it's like they're, a big time they're scene. like all vice presidents of something and like it's so funny <laughs> it's so subtle movie. but that's like the first plot point of the movie is like that someone else has a better business card than him <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like not really a real plot point but it's like that is the 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 mark everybody is on a path to being the best at wall street yeah of being the whatever it is it's, i don't know they're if they're not doing necessarily stocks or doing they're any doing, business they're all lawyers in the movie I don't know. um i think they're investment brokers i imagine yeah but right. everyone they wants really the most money explore that it's all surface level like they're all mm-hmm. business people yeah. they all everything got new comes with prestige they're like all he, talking about dolce and gabbana yep he's not dating reese with a spoon because he wants to it's because she's in like a higher echelon of like girl yeah, like, and they're actually engaged mm-hmm. to get married. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's his fiance. But it's all, all about status. Everything's about status. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the movie's narrated by Christian Bale, or Patrick Bateman, I mean. Mm-hmm. So hmm. he's he's narrating it himself, too. Yeah. There are moments where he's in scenes talking like to himself. You just hear his voiceover. And so the, the movie opens, the credit sequence is like at a restaurant and you see like red being splattered on a white tablecloth and it looks like blood, but it's like really like it's actually at a restaurant and someone's like setting a uh, plating a dish. Mm-hmm. And so you see this and it looks like blood swipes. Delicious like red wine glaze of some kind for a uh, yeah. 
This movie's very white in a lot of scenes, like really clean. Hey, and a lot of actors commentary. <laughs> sure, sure. It is. Yeah, I think the entire cast is white. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the movie opens with him doing like like a workout, like he's doing crunches and sit ups and stuff. And we he's get to like see his day to day a lot. He, and he's he's literally narrating the mask that he puts on in his daily routine. Hmm. And he's like. I put on a cucumber mask in the morning because it adds a real shine to my face. He gives you healthy <laughs> tips, like why he looks so good or then the steps that he takes. Then I apply a lotion moisturizer. Yeah. He wants you to know how much work he puts into being as good as yes. he is. Yeah. He doesn't cut corners. It's always the best of the best. It's 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 not necessarily like him narrating. It's just like him kind of telling you how you should be taking care of it's like a youtube it's like a video yeah it is before yeah. youtube video <laughs> yes. self-help <laughs> yeah it's a tutorial in the shower i use a water activated gel cleanser then a honey almond body scrub and on the face an exfoliating gel scrub Then I apply an herb mint facial mask, which I leave on for 10 minutes while I prepare the rest of my routine. I always use an aftershave lotion with little or no alcohol, because alcohol dries your face out and makes you look older. Then moisturizer, then an anti-aging eye balm followed by a final moisturizing protective lotion. There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman some kind of abstraction. But there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze, and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. And I know a lot of men, like when they saw this movie, started to get more into like a beauty routine. Like hmm. that was like a high school thing that like like surfed like once. This is where like the word metrosexual my... came up. <laughs> my uh, class anyway. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like that's what like maybe in the nineties someone would say like oh that that person's metrosexual, which like I guess means they like like to dress nice yeah. and look nice. Where yeah, where put like cleansers on their face and yeah. All that fun, nice, like, 90s standoffish, like, oh, well, this guy over I'm here. I'm a man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he's doing, like, yeah, we, we get to he, see his this routine. This whole groom routine. How does it start? Does he I talk believe... about his stereo? Because this, I mean, he, he talks about his, the music he likes, yeah, but yeah. I know he talks yeah. about, like, he has, like, a really nice mm-hmm. stereo system. When is the first moment where he starts to have, like, almost, like, visions of doing terrible things, but then, like, it reels back. Isn't there moments where he, like, imagines something terrible happening and then it cuts back to the scene and it's just regular? Does that happen? Hmm. There's... So so you get bits and pieces of it. Like, there's a scene early on where... I think this is maybe in the very opening, um, after he does his, like, cleansing and stuff. He goes over to his girlfriend's house and they're getting ready to go out uh, clubbing. And he's one of his friends is there and his friend's girlfriend or wife is there as well. And, um, they go out to some club. They're doing cocaine in the bathroom because it's the eighties. Sure. That's what you did. And, uh, they meet some like kind of goth, like, uh, Robert Smith, the cure type people. And, uh, they're trying to talk, but like, it's really loud. And so the, they're not hearing each other. 
And so there's like a bit where you get to hear Patrick Bateman go like, I'm going to kill you or something oh, like right, that. And he's right, like right. saying it out loud. You, like You can't hear anything. Like anyway. I could stab a, a knife right through your throat right now. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like this band too. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. So there are these like glimpses of him being a psychopath. Yeah, as the darker movie would side. Say. Yeah. And he's a, I mean, maybe he just feels entitled because he's wealthy and I has a like lot. I feel like he's bored. And, yeah. I feel I, like he doesn't get, like, any thrills anymore. Like, everything just comes so easy to him. There's nothing left to conquer. He hates being one-upped. Too. Oh, and like, embarrassed, one-upped, anything, yeah. Yeah. Like, the business card is, like, a big moment because they show him, like, perspiring and stuff. He's close-ups of his face. He's sweating so hard. Like, <laughs> he's like, did you see his business card? He printed it on an eggshell color with, like, a gold-embroidered font. Yes. Stamped in, and, like, he's looking at it, and, like, his glasses, he, like, takes them off, and he's just, like, he's just, like, oh, my God, someone has a better business card than me? How is this possible? <laughs> Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. Something wrong? Patrick? You're sweating. This movie is all about obtaining the best of the best that society has to offer in a New York Wall Street environment. Yep. I mean, it's like, again, like it's the movie Wall Street, but with murder, which is what that movie was missing, if we're honest. Is there, isn't there murder in Wall Street? I never saw Wall Street. I know <laughs> um, Charlie Sheen and then... There's insider trading. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's no murder involved? There's no, like, murder plot? No. It's just moving money around and Unless you count things. The, the dissolution of a healthy regional airline displacing hundreds of union workers, murder... Yeah, I guess so. Wow. I mean, uh, I guess it leads to that. What soapbox are you standing on? <laughs> I mean, let's get back to this movie, guys. <laughs> Does Wall Street have a moment where a guy jumps out of a window? Because I remember that being like a cliched Probably. thing that Probably. happened in like skyscrapers and movies. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it feels like it would be. I could but... see like an oblique reference to like so and so like killed himself last night. I lost him $2 billion. Oh, yeah. So that's got to happen. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen that one, too. Maybe we'll do that next. I've never seen it. Why? You never saw it? No, Money we, Never we Sleeps. Watched, I think we watched it last Money once. Never Sleeps. With Shia LaBeouf. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, um, I do think you're right when you were saying there are like, other hints that he's doing yeah. things. Because mm. he, he visits the laundromat a couple times to get like stains out. And he shows up, and he's like... I need to get this stain out, and it's clearly blood. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's red wine. And she's like, I-, I can't get this. She's like Chinese, and she's like, I speaking to him in yeah, Chinese, he's, he's and so they're not like able to understand And then he other. says something under her his breath to like threaten her. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he he outright right, threatens her right there. Yeah. And uh, one of his friends shows up, and she's just like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, hey, hey, Patrick. And I think this is someone... There's, there's a character in, in, in this movie who... I don't know if she's in the book, but like there's a girl that likes him, that wants to date him, that wants him to break up with uh Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, and she thinks of him as a good guy. Like she thinks like like if if she was with him, like they like like they would be great for each other and that he's a good guy. Like and, they'd have a real and, genuinely great relationship. <laughs> it's the I, woman he needs to end up with. Yeah, movie, yeah, but. but I think with her, like he he is kind of like no, like you don't want to be with me. Like he's kind of a bit not completely honest, but he's like I'm a bad person. Kind of self aware about it, yeah, yeah, yeah. When does he start killing hookers? So that comes up like, <laughs> yeah, come on, Andy, get us there. That's like next. <laughs> Let's kill some hookers. I don't even know why he wanted the hookers. 
It's just an uh, easy person to kill and not have anybody. <laughs> now remembering the whole about scene. Oh, oh my boy. god! <laughs> Tell us about so, it. So there's, I don't remember how it's laid out exactly, but I think there's a scene where he is in a limo, mm-hmm. pulls up to a hooker, and uh, she comes up, and I think he just gives her money, and uh, then it cuts to, I mean, she gets in, cuts to she's leaving the apartment with like a black eye and like. She got roughed up. She got roughed up a bunch. Really bad. So that happens first, and Mm -hmm. then later on, he comes back and um, sees her again, and he's like, "Same thing." Pulls up at the limo, has got money, and she's like, "I'm not coming with you after what you did last time." Right. And he's like, "I'm gonna double it." Yeah. I think she does come with him. He he does double because they do the threesome with that girl. Yes. (laughs) Speak about that scene. Is that scene is like that's that's got to be like the um. Almost the mid. I think he kills something? Jared Leto first before that. There no, may even be another scene no, where he like he, car- he kills him after. Okay, I think there's another scene where he like chases another woman like in an alleyway. Maybe this like, is all that him. sequence. Okay, hmm. I thought one like gets killed like yeah in an alley, but I could be wrong. Um, we'll talk about it. <laughs> all right, Andy's got this movie. <laughs> so what what do you remember about the hooker scene, the second one? This the, you want to talk about the threesome sex scene with the mirror? We got to because it's and the narration, crazy. and you get to see like and almost his he straight up like has a video camera that he's shooting yeah. at himself, wow. and he's flexing to the camera, mm-hmm. looking at himself having sex with this girl. Oh man! Three men and a baby camera. Eat your heart out because Patrick Bateman's got one up on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's watching himself on video cameras all around. He's looking at himself in the mirror. He's flexing, looking all buff. And the 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 girl that he roughed up last time, she's just kind of like laying on the couch yeah. and watching him. So I think like the sex scene like winds down and it fades out, but then it fades back up and it's like maybe an hour later. And like both of the girls are sleeping in the bed. And then you hear like the weirdest like guttural sounds happening. You're like, what is happening? And it's like panning down. And I think he was like eating her or something like that. Yeah. Like literally yeah, eating her. Yeah, cannibalizing her. Really weird. And so then the other girl woke up and saw this and like freaks <laughs> out. And then you get the whole sequence where. Is he running naked? He's got with blood the all over his face because he was eating that girl. Mm-hmm. And then he's running naked with a chainsaw, chasing after this, this is girl. Great. Through hallways. Through hallways. She runs down a spiral staircase and he's just like watching her with the chainsaw uh-huh. and he's like, he's like, he's like a video game, like, like a centipede trying, yeah. trying to plan his shot to shoot down the and space he, invader. When the moment comes, he <laughs> lets go of the chainsaw and it spirals down and Boom. connects with her right God, at the man. right moment. He's so good. High score. So talented. And so we got to kind of talk about the uh, whether or not like this stuff is really happening. You can talk about it at the very end. Well, this is a moment where it's like how you live in an apartment complex. How could no one else have heard a chainsaw in the middle of the night? Right. Because that spiral staircase, that was a shared staircase. Sure. And there's a lot of work to do. He's got to hide bodies. He's got to wipe all that blood. Yeah. Yeah. No one came out of their apartment. Maybe you don't know it right away, but like there's some questions here. You start to ask the questions Mm -hmm. at least of why no one is. It's a little bit too much of a cartoon. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a ridiculous sequence because I think it cuts too. Like he's just like at work, listen to his headphones or something. Sure, just be bopping he's along. Like a, he's got a Walkman in, mm-hmm. the yellow classic one. With the wire and the foam head. <laughs> and he's probably listening to like uh, Whitney Houston, I oh. think. Ooh. He's There's got a, a lot of tech stuff. There is a, a chapter in the book that's 
literally just on how Whitney Houston is like one of the greatest singers <laughs> and that her um, one of her songs, I can't remember which one, but one of her songs is like the best ballad of like the 90s and it's like up there with like other and the entire chapter is literally just on that that he writes song. about music a lot brett <laughs> yeah. ellis that's his thing yeah because i think earlier on there was a chapter on uh huey lewis in the news so it's it's kind of fun when does he kill jared leto because they're like buddy buddies right they're like friends they're like rivals yeah. slash friends like they're like so friendly to each other he, but here's here's the thing that's happening in this movie everybody is very superficial yes oh no. everybody wears the same thing too mm-hmm. so everybody has glasses everybody has a suit and tie the best of the best they all have the same haircut which is like kind of long the and slick back, greasy. Long. slick yeah. back so um in the in the movie the entire time every other character keeps misremembering who patrick bateman is and calling him by another name and he's never correcting them he's just like they're like oh hey larry and he's just like oh hey how's it going Mm -hmm. and like nobody really knows who each other is so um and isn't he going on vacation or something like jared leto is like off for two weeks well that's the story okay yeah (laughs) that's the story that's told Uh uh-huh um so He's jealous of Jared Leto because he got a table, he got a reservation at we a couldn't restaurant get a reservation. that he can't get a reservation at. Ooh, the reservations. That's the last straw. And like he he hears him on a phone call. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, I'll I'll call up the restaurant right now and get a reservation. And then he's like, there's no way he's gonna get a reservation. And then he gets a reservation. And he's just like, wow, how would he get a reservation? I couldn't get a reservation. So it like tees him up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then he invites. Jared Leto out to a Mexican restaurant or something like that. And uh, they're having dinner, but like the real goal is to just have Jared Leto get like wasted. And so he keeps ordering him drink after drink after drink. And uh, I think I'm thinking of the what's the what's the movie where the guy keeps going like how do you do the the drink is it the lime first then the salt oh, yeah I'm, I'm mixing that movie up with what what i'm thinking about indiana jones <laughs> no <laughs> i forget what movie that is anyway we probably did it on this podcast probably <laughs> but he gets him really really drunk then he invites him to i think patrick bateman has a murder apartment yeah i think that's his real apartment yeah i thought it was just his regular apartment he just, but he puts like uh, plastics everywhere. Plastics he has down, plastic everywhere. You know, make sure it's not to be killed. I, I, I think he. There's an empty. He the I think there's an empty still gets apartment. Covered in mess. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little confusing. Like, is that Jared Leto's? Like at the end of the film, is that Jared Leto's apartment? Is that his apartment? Is that just like apartment that was empty? Or no, it's definitely the scene's the greatest. Mm-hmm. It's definitely Patrick Bateman's uh, apartment. But then there's some scenes that I'm kind of confused about later on. But. This whole sequence, this is where he's like, have you ever heard of Huey Lewis in the news? And then he goes over why I'll, I'll just play the whole clip here. We'll be oh, good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> we'll, we'll be, we got it covered. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so in this scene, he's he's basically just talking about... He's having so much fun. Oh, yeah. He's like, this is his Kid in a candy store. This is, he knows that this is what he... Oh. Like his special thing that he no one else He thrives on it. Yep. yep. But in in the same time, he's literally just like kind of walking around the apartment. He grabs out. He looks in the mirror, checks himself, checks his hair, goes to the closet, grabs his his raincoat. The prettiest axe you ever could see. Goes grabs an axe. And then Jared Leto is like still wasted. But he's like, hey, Bateman, why do you have all these newspapers on the floor? And then that's when he like, I forget what he says, but... He turns around and just you see just like 
whack, just right at his forehead, and all this blood just like shoots on his face. <laughs> Great. And he goes wild on he's him. so happy he just too. like oh, he yeah. keeps going and he's just like fuck you and fuck you and your card sucks and he's just like going off the rails yeah i think this is where it gets to the part that you were talking about where he goes to jared leto's apartment to record a message and he's like hey i'm out on vacation i'm going to europe for two weeks i'll see you when i get back and then he like leaves it mm-hmm. and um so now we have Willem Dafoe shows up. Oh yeah, oh, police officer. Which I only just remembering now. Just the same <laughs> character from from Boondock Saints. Yeah, we were going to talk about Boondock Saints. <laughs> so we talked about this one instead. He yeah, been... that's so funny. Yeah, because he's not really in the movie that much. He's just like a detective in I think two sequences. Yeah, and he, that's it. he's just looking for Jared Leto. He's like looking for this guy. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so he's at his uh, in his office. And Willem Dafoe comes in. And he's just like, hey, like you know. I've been like interviewing some of your coworkers about uh, about this guy missing, and just wanted to see if you had any information on this. Do you have any witnesses or fingerprints? Well, there's a message on his answering machine that says he went to London. Well, maybe he did, huh? His girlfriend doesn't think so. But has anyone seen him in London? Actually, yes. Hmm. But I've had a hard time getting actual verification. A Stephen Hughes said he saw him at a restaurant there, but I checked it out, and what happened is he mistook a Herbert Ainsworth for Paulso. Had his apartment been burglarized? No, actually it hadn't. Toiletries were missing, a suit was gone, so was some luggage, that's it. I mean, no one's dealing with a homicide squad yet or anything, right? No, not yet. As I said, we're not sure. Basically, no one's seen or heard anything. So typical, isn't it? It's just strange. One day someone's walking around, going to work, alive, and then... Nothing. People just disappear. The earth just opens up and swallows them. Eerie. Really eerie. How great of an actor is Willem Dafoe, though? Oh, God, so good. Oh, my God. So 90s Willem Dafoe? And oh. this was acted and shot really well because... He plays it so well. Like, both characters play it so they well. They really set it up for good editing. They shot it three different ways, and they were like, we, we want to shoot it where you don't believe it's him, we want to shoot it where you're skeptical, and we want to shoot it where you do believe it's Patrick Bateman that did this. And so when they edit it, you get to see some of that jump around. So smart. It is really, really Almost smart. Almost like thought out filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> this whole movie's thought out. It's, it's really well shot. Mm-hmm. So he's interviewing him and uh, yeah, I mean, you get the vibe that like Willem Dafoe thinks there's something there. And I think he's even like playing with uh, someone's hair. He's like playing, he's like messing, he has like a, a, a tuft of maybe hmm. Jared Leto's hair, like in his hand, like in the scene. Willem Dafoe does. No, oh, uh, Patrick Bateman. Okay, does. that makes sense. <laughs> well, it's like in his desk or something, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Now I'm remembering that Chloe Savini's in this movie too. She's Patrick Bateman's secretary. Mm. Oh, okay. She like does all, sets all of his meetings and stuff. And I totally forgot about the scene where where he asks her on a date. Is she the girl that wants to date him and thinks that yep. he wants to make him, oh, him better? Okay, yep. okay. Yep. And he does ask her on a date, and he invites her over to her house. <laughs> but she, he doesn't want to go in, right? He like he d- he doesn't want to kill her. He's he afraid of what he's going to do. He literally puts a nail gun to her head. Oh, never mind. And, wow. then, he puts, <laughs> and then he puts it down, and oh, then he yeah, comes yeah, yeah. back, and he's just like... She like goes in for a kiss and closes here. her eyes or something, right? Uh, she's like sitting on the couch, and he walks in his bedroom, grabs, yeah, yeah. grabs a nail gun, and then walks up to her and like puts it to the back of her head. And then he but like thinks he about it, it, and though. then he puts it down and puts it back. 
And then he's like, you don't want to be here. Like, I'm just going to hurt you. Like, you need to go. Yeah, I was mixing it up earlier. This is the girl that he says it to. Okay. Like, because she's just like so sweet and gentle and he like, that's doesn't want to do he it. Doesn't he feels, do he it. finally fe- kind of feels bad about it. Yeah, he's a wolf, and this isn't the kind the of wolf of that he Wall wants. Street. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. Guys. I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> let's now, get going. The let's, wrap let's, up. Yeah, of wrap the it up movie, here, Because huh? we're, I mean, we're most of the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where he gets like really paranoid. Reese Witherspoon's relationship falls apart. He's like acting funny. He's kind of a jerk to everybody. He starts kind of falling he, apart. He really starts falling apart because there's a scene where he thinks a helicopter is chasing after him and he's like running through the city and he like quickly stabs a homeless man a couple times and then like keeps running. And That's he's like on a rampage. Yeah. It happens in an alleyway. Yeah. Okay. He's like on a weird rampage. And um, he thinks that, like, the, Willem Dafoe's, like, kind of catching up to him because, like, he keeps calling him back, like, hey, I want to have a second meeting with you. Mm-hmm. Why you're not returning my calls? What's going on? Like, I need to really busy. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he, like, keeps telling uh, the secretary to give a bunch of excuses. And so, like, there's, like, a spotlight that's following him at the end. And uh, there's one scene where I think he tries to shove a kitten into an ATM machine oh, or something. Yeah, that happens. Wow. It's like even in the book, it's really weird. There's some scenes in the book that I'm glad they cut out. There's like a chapter where he goes on a date with his fiance and then fishes out a urinal cake and has has the chef like coat it in chocolate and then serve it to his, his fiance. And what? then <laughs> I'm not lying to you. This is a scene in the book. And then as she's eating it, she really doesn't like it. And she's like still trying to eat it. And he's like starting to feel bad that he just did this. And he's like, why did I do this? It's such a weird scene. And I was like, why would you write this? He ends up running away into another like office building. Is it the, isn't, I don't know if it's the one he works at or it's just like a generic one that happens to be open. He like runs into it. Yeah. But he gets to a phone and calls Willem Dafoe. No, he calls his, he calls his friend. No, he, well, he thinks he's calling Willem Dafoe. No, he's calling his lawyer. Yeah. And he's confessing to all the murders that he's He's, done. Yep. He's like, I killed, I killed my, my coworker. You can find him here. And I killed a homeless guy and I killed a couple hookers. And he's saying all this stuff. He's getting it all off his chest. Yep. Confessing everything. And he's like, finally, like, he's like weeping and crying because he's just like, finally, like releasing it all and letting people know. Yeah. what he's been doing then he like goes, then does he go to dinner or something he, like just, he just goes home uh-huh. nothing happens and the next scene he shows up at their like country club where his other buddies where are. the lawyer is too yep his lawyer yeah, yeah. his friend that he went to the club with earlier on a couple other yeah. friends he talks who to the- i think one of his friends is his lawyer and so he talks um, to the lawyer and the lawyer says like did you get my message or whatever and the lawyer got like a garbled message or something no, no. So, so this saying. like goes with like the people mixing each other up. Mm. He's like, "Did you get my message?" And he's like, "Oh, dude, that was hilarious." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Yeah, like I thought the message was hilarious. I don't know what you're talking about. I saw Stuart like last week when I was in Amsterdam." <laughs> and he's like, he realizes like nobody knows who anybody is because nobody like cares. Yeah. So like people think this guy's still alive because they thought they saw somebody else that looked like him. Mm-hmm. And so it like gets really confusing and he's like kind of like thinking like, okay, I guess I got away with it. You know, like he kind of has this like thought like, I guess like there's no repercussion here. You know, I'm going to continue to get away with this. And that's kind of how it wraps up. It wraps up with it never happening. 
none of these things happened. <laughs> so that's where you end up thinking yeah. is because nobody knows who anybody yeah. is. He gets and fight some weird things. A little bit. It's, a it club. leaves it kind of open-ended because some people don't know who, who people are. Oh, and I'll, some of this is like... Hmm. I left the movie certain that he had all oh, just imagined it. Literally I look at it again from that perspective I'll because that's to. an important thing. Like Nobody knows who anybody is and there's he keeps being called the wrong name. So, you know, on one hand, like he is delusional and, and there's a lot of things that you're like, he's this is happening in his head. Yeah. And on the other hand, like maybe some of this did happen and people are just like, don't care. <laughs> you know, the people around him are confused. Or right. They're blind or Does naive. Jared Leto show up at the end of the film? I thought he did. No, I guess not. No, no. Hmm. Nope. He's just like, yeah, the guy's like, yeah, he was in Amsterdam. Yeah, I, saw, I ran into him. He's like, oh, interesting. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll figure out what my interpretation is if it changes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This will be fun. So that's... That's it for American Psycho, as far as I know. What All else right. we got? Well, maybe there's some missing things in there. Yeah, I know. Um, I talked a lot, so what do you guys got? I, he hangs uh, out the limo. I, Doesn't he have like a limo driver he talks to? Doesn't he have like a friend? I don't think you ever you see the limo see driver. You probably rented it. It's a lot of like lot talking of limo, about who's getting re- reservations at which restaurant. Yeah, it's all the status uh, stuff. Adoria or something. It has like a fancy name that everyone's trying to get reservations. Yeah, in. it starts with a D. It's like Dolce something or I don't know. It's a big deal to get into this place. It's a huge deal. And if you get into like the next best, you're like a piece of shit. <laughs> it's like how they it's see garbage, it. Yeah. It's yeah, well, it's the entire like, culture is that like if you don't yeah. have the best, then that guy don't can't bother. even get into this restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's like looked down upon, and it's all like, what are you wearing? Talking yeah, about I mean, clothing. it's definitely it's the whole point is you know very it's just lamp- lampooning the 80s. that yeah like the ridiculous culture that kind of grew up, that spawned in that that whole environment, and then. Robin Hood happened, and then Wall Street went all digital. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> e-commerce, true. baby. That's true. No yeah, now they're getting rid e-commerce. of like the 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 trading fees, which There's is really, awesome. I think and you now you can do dollar. Uh, you can buy shares for whatever dollar amount too for free, which is awesome yeah. as well. Well, they talk about like so much of the trading now is done just by straight up computer program algorithms that are way faster than any people could ever yeah. be. So they're like. I mean, yeah. there's no more of the I mean, whole they can beat something see to market. Trends, like, yeah. way ahead of time. I mean, that's how Bloomberg made all his money. It was with the Bloomberg machine, basically, the computer. Yep, yep. That can do that stuff. Isn't so. he E-Trade? Um, E-Trade, I think, is his I platform. Know, might be. Yeah. Everyone needed that Bloomberg terminal for their trading. But it's, yeah, it's kind of nuts. And I remember, I don't know if it you was... You make more money that way if you're just faster. It's not in the the big short i'm trying to remember what it was, if it was a documentary christian bale's in the big short doc- it's true where it's like talking about <laughs> some guy who like was a trader on the floor in the stock exchange and like you know made a good amount of money at some point on his own but now like suddenly the floor isn't a thing anymore really and so now he's like i don't know what i'm gonna do i i didn't even finish high school like this is my thing and now it's like you not happening i don't know computers yep yep but it's interesting I'm excited to get into the 90 culture. I mean, you know enough. <laughs> you can turn it on. You're a little bit afraid of a computer. Don't come near me. You're a little computer phobic. <laughs> so How intolerant. Oh, boy. He got a virus again. Downloaded that circus song. Oh, boy. Well, we're going to watch American Psycho, and Andy Hubert's going to tell us all the things. I can't wait. That we got right and what we got wrong. I'm excited to see this. Part two. In 87, Huey released this. 
4, their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends, it's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Welcome back to the... Sorry, I can't do this part two. I gotta return some videotape. <laughs> I'll be back. I'll be back later. I gotta return Wait, some videotape. You going now? Yeah. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, Andy, what yeah. did you... <laughs> we'll switch gears. <laughs> he says that so good. He like does. The, that's like one of the, my favorite line deliveries that he does. I gotta return some videotape. <laughs> he says that to get out of uh, talking to the yeah, detective? Pretty much anything. He says it a couple times. Oh, to get does? out of talking I to guess. his wife, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, fiance and uh yeah definitely the detective yeah i'm the detective and i think he even says it very like somberly to uh chloe sevigny to get her to yeah leave. i think you're right yeah i gotta return some video to- his <laughs> man, his performance in this movie is really good mm-hmm. and i think it's on like the verge of easily misunderstood and i think that's kind of the the whole movie runs that way mm-hmm. where I, I don't know. I, I have a He's strange... possibly a very misunderstood character. It is. And I think yeah. like there's Even so the many book. times where I, you know, I feel like it's deliberately awkward stilted. And I think if you're not paying attention, you cannot, you don't, you miss that. And you're like, what is he doing? Like, this is just, ugh. And man, I don't know. I don't think I've ever like, what actually is he watched do- Like, what is the character doing? What is Christian yeah, Bale like, what is doing? Christian Bale? Like, what is this, like... Per person he's portraying like why would he do that's just awkward and dumb and you're like yeah that's kind of the point like yeah you i mean he's putting an acting a, you're he's being putting somebody on a else. facade like he's an actor playing a guy acting as a person and mm-hmm. like that's gonna add a, a whole extra layer this movie's fascinating it's, it's yeah it's, it's complicated mm-hmm. i i je- i was I didn't remember if we talked about what year this movie was actually made. We did. And I was watching... 2000. Like, I'm watching this, and I was just like, man, like, you know, they really nailed the 80s. Like, this must have been, like, 93 or something. I look, and I'm like, 2000? (laughs) They nailed it. Yeah, I think they purposely waited that long to do it. Yeah. Because the movie had been talked about for a while, but they're like, we need to give a little separation mm -hmm. from the 80s. They need some breathing room. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and they do such a good job of pulling you straight into the 80s. That's like us... Making a movie about 2007. Yeah, I don't well, even know if that would matter or not. I don't think people would. I mean, not that it does. I'm just saying it's, it's it not would be going weird. too far back in time. It is weird it's making only a the, decade. The, the thought of like making a movie about what the world was like when we were in like high school. And I, I don't even think it's now, really though, different like, from now. I see. Like I feel the clothing like, and things. I feel like maybe two years ago I would have said I don't the know, same go thing. Go look at some photos from 2007. I'm like, I've gone back and watched like Barack Obama and like other people like doing speeches. You're looking at audiences members and like. The quality of the footage looks like Watch odd. It. You're like, is this that's 2007? And then me. like the yeah. clothing and the hairstyle and stuff. It's if it, it feels there it, it really is an aesthetic from the early 2000s. I'd have that to examine it. I didn't it realize it still was feels there. close to like early 2000s styles of clothing. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's so I, it becomes more and more obvious that it was like a very transitional period. I think in a lot of ways in terms of fashion technology, a lot of the stuff. Those early two thousands are st- a real strange period, and like the further we get away, and the more I watch 
media from that period, I'm like, weird. This is weird. What were yeah. we thinking? What? What? <laughs> and in terms of American Psycho, like maybe the year 2000, the year in the late 80s, like are very distinctly different or yeah. they, in our yeah. minds, they feel completely different. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think so. For sure. I think the 90s has a, a feel and the 80s has a feel. I don't know what the, the double O's feel like. I, I felt the I same way. I don't know what way, the 10s feel like. I felt the same way until recently. More recently, I've suddenly been like, I think there is, I think, a distinct aesthetic from those early aughts. And it's I, a lot. A lot of it is like related to like technology. And I think a lot of it, too, I'm just like, we can forget all about that, though. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but I think I agree with you, Brad. It doesn't feel like there's a distinct culture. And I wonder, too, if that is because at the time, if it feels different to us, like we were there growing up. Like, I wonder if someone who grew up right in the you know late 80s or something, watching something from the late 80s, felt like, oh, yeah, that's 80s. Uh, like, yeah. I, I don't know if it... If it if maybe Aren't you two some from the late eighties, or you mean, gr- mean grow up or born? Bo- well, I mean, someone who was like a, a young adult in, in the in like the late eighties. Okay, I yeah. mean, I, I think maybe like the, our perceptions of what yeah, it is is different if, than what like culture presents to us. Right, culture like wraps too. it that's up true. in a bow and it's like this is the eighties. And when you're but a, like when you're living in the eighties, yeah. like. When it you're a newer generation, like and, and yeah, you're right, media will portray like, hey, younger generation, this is what it was like. And they like distill down like a specific set of tropes about yeah. different periods in time. And you're like, but did, how, did it really feel like that all the time? And also, if you're talking during. about media, it's either going to be like New York or L.A. that like. Yeah, well, that's the images. Yeah, yeah. The, the images. Yeah. I really yeah. that's why I've really enjoyed like some TV series where they really get away from that. Uh, like, I mean, Freaks and Geeks, I think, does a really interesting job of doing late 80s and kind of the midwest because it's set here actually michigan and it's very subtle it is very much still like a lot of things seem very the same as they would now even and then every so often something pops up that reminds you of one that takes place um i think um what was it the goldbergs i don't know if either of you watched that i mean that's another i've tried to watch the show a few times it just never caught me Um, but that's set in the 80s right yeah Mm -hmm. that's another one set in the 80s and again it's 80s in like the suburbs about just kids that we would i think relate to growing up and i that aesthetic is nowhere near as just all the time always the show i liked watching growing up was the wonder years yeah i watched watched the whole thing i revisited 60s yeah uh yeah the late 60s it's like it's uh 67 that was 68, a great show. Somewhere in there. Oh, amazing show. Uh, yeah, I, I actually watched the whole thing like maybe a decade ago or something like that. I sat down and like watched it all. I it's remember, so good. I remember it was going to when it first came to Netflix. I was like, oh, wow, look yeah. at that. It's on Netflix. And then they didn't have the music rights for the original intro. And I was oh, like, no. I'm not sitting through that. <laughs> I turned it off. I didn't even get into episode one. No, no. As soon as I, I was like, I need cocker's you know a little help for my friends if i'm gonna watch this show and if it's not there i don't want to i i don't know where i watched it but i saw the whole thing and mm-hmm. had that intro too yeah i need to get back to it so in in terms of american psycho what's the aesthetic that brad did i cut you off no go ahead okay what's the <laughs> 80s aesthetic that you that was really appealing to you i think mm. I, every i think this is one of the the best sort of encapsulations of the 80s yuppie culture and I remember when, when I was younger hearing the term yuppies and it always to me it always just sort of meant middle class professionals. I didn't realize I mean I wasn't nearly as as exposed to media that portrayed like the insane 80s Wall Street culture until more recently. This is like you're like this is I get what they mean now. I understand where they're talking about with just like these ridiculous things that seem to only exist so that people would spend money on them, which obviously is 
in a capitalist society will always happen. But mm-hmm. the 80s had so much of that. Can I? Can we talk about the eight-foot chair in his apartment that sits in a corner? It's like a regular chair, and then the back of that chair is like four feet tall. <laughs> I was like, what is that? His apartment's amazing. The set yeah, design of his apartment. I kind of think it's small. Is- I don't like it. I don't like his apartment. I'd rather much have uh, the other apartment. His ceilings are much nice, higher than... The nicer apartment, than, uh, according to the- What's the other guy's name? We we do need a Paul clear, Allen. Jared Paul Allen. Allen. Paul I, Allen. I, I shouldn't forget Paul Allen. Paul Allen's apartment's much nicer. He lowers yeah, ceilings Jared though. Uh, we need to clear up the apartment confusion because we were. Not it's sure very how that confusing. Happened. I don't know whose apartment he killed Jared Leto in. His own. His, his own. own, which yes. makes sense. That is his own. And then after. But then is he spending the rest of his time yeah, in Jared? Everything Leto's? else he does is basically in Jared Leto's mm-hmm. apartment. But when he's with the prostitutes, mm-hmm. the first. Time. He's at his own apartment. He's at yeah, his own, that's, the second that's time he's at Jared Leto's. Yes. Yep. Because she even makes she a comment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a much uh, nicer apartment, and he like gives her a look. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. And I think the. I, I mean, there's so many things in this movie where I I assume that they are deliberate choices, and I love them, and I think that's such a cool idea, and I hope they are. And I, you know, I looked up. I, I, can't, I can't remember the name of the woman that directed this. Mary Heron. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Heron, and she's done like a lot of TV. Like, that seems to be, like, where That's where 80s operates. and 90s directors go now. They but just do television. They, a lot of TV, and it was really interesting that, like, out of kind of almost... It feels like suddenly she writes and directs the adaptation for this. And, like, I don't know. There's so much... There's so many interesting shots, so many interesting motifs that I... Like, I think... I, I feel like I could spend a ton of time analyzing this movie over and over again. But at the same time, I don't feel like i want to watch this movie again i don't know oh, man. i watched it twice it's i like weird, watching it i don't i have a weird relationship with this movie i mean like, it's very gory at times and i don't know well, it's off camera so it is it mm-hmm. is but it's, well, it's a lot of superficial dialogue it is and that's and, and that's the point um, that's, it is that's, the point. that's part of the point and but man like yeah his apartment being just stark black and white nearly empty as like this representation of his own self and he, when he gets to Paul Allen's apartment, which is still just like an entire cream color, everything's mm-hmm. the same, but it, it his is a little more like homey, but at the same time, like you lived know, in such a big deal is made out of the apartments. Uh, like they, I was reading an article about the movie that mentions that the fact that he introduces himself as a narrator first by where he lives, then by his name. Mm-hmm. They're like, that's how important his apartment is to him mm-hmm. and when he like sees paul allen's it's place, all about status and he's basically. just like he's got a and like having a really nice apartment in new york city mm-hmm. that's well, like, unlike the that's detective status. when he tells the detective where he lives the detective's like oh wow and like he like that's one of the few moments in this movie where like bateman really does seem to feel like heck yeah i did yeah i'm awesome one for bateman yeah <laughs> how old are you 27 where did you go to school harvard then harvard business school your address? American Gardens Building, West 81st Street. Mm, nice. Very nice. Thanks. I didn't realize he killed Paul Allen so fast. He does. I kind of yeah. forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I was, I was trying to I make I didn't know that if it was point, the middle of yeah. the movie that it happened, but it's like he the... He moves quick. It, what, 20 minutes in? Mm-hmm. 30 minutes in, maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically the end of the first yeah. act is, is, the, is the kill, and then the descent into madness, basically. Mm-hmm. It all goes from there. Mm-hmm. Does he kill anybody before that? Yeah, it's, there's an the offspring kill of the homeless guy and also the right. lady in the in the coat that he walks across the street. 
Yes. Is that guy who played the homeless guy? He's from some stuff. He's yes. from The Mask. He, I knew he was from The Mask. I thought about it before I said that. He he's the guy with the cigarette yeah. that falls out of his mouth in The Mask. <laughs> he's in a lot. He's in a number of things. I knew he, he was had a lot of roles. I did recognize that guy. <laughs> that was uh, such a sad scene, too. Yeah. Well, when you when you want to make your character a villain, you have him li- like it's called kick the dog. Yeah. And it could be a metaphor. It's literal in this film. Oh yeah, yeah I but, forgot. Yeah, I, <laughs> and man, when that happened, I was just like, and then I was just like, you know he's killing a ton of people and now i care yeah but like the kick the dog is a trope just have your villain do something yep. that is like irredeemable and that you know that they're a bad person said you know best modern i feel like example is john wick i mean for the easiest yeah, way go. to get everyone on board with kill a dog uh, with killing revenge is mm-hmm. you hurt the dog and then like the opposite trope is pet the dog where it's like <laughs> oh you're he's a hero because he was nice to the dog yeah. he mm-hmm. leaned down and pet it he yeah. fed the dog some treats one time yeah. <laughs> and he's nice to the cat later it's like until he's about well, to he's feed tra- it to the know, atm he doesn't know no. I couldn't remember if that actually happened in the movie or if that was just in the book, but it mm-hmm. did. It, like the ATM said, feed cat. <laughs> There's <was> a <laughs> cat right there. Now, so have you, you've read the whole book, Ian? I listened to the audio book, but okay. yeah, the whole thing. And I don't know if you know well enough, like, the, is how do you feel that the, the movie portrays, like, I guess, what the book is trying to portray? Like, do you think it's very, a very close? Yeah. Um, I think, I think the book uh doesn't have a concise narrative it it doesn't have a flow to it mm-hmm. um and th- it was specifically written that way like you you get like what's happening with Patrick Bateman and then you get like these snippets where he's just talking about like life and like music he likes and yeah so it's a very broken up book but I guess it's assumed that it takes place over a course of months at least the movie does yeah yeah, yeah. Like yep. this, these don't happen and, all and right it is quick jumps and i think it's supposed to be kind of disorienting for the audience even and it reflects too into like the sort of unreliable narrator mm-hmm. uh, effect he's very much have. an unreliable narrator because like you, you know, don't when, know if he's going crazy you don't know if yeah. he's actually he doing kills, this he kills paul allen and the detective shows up in like the very next scene saying hey like the, the family's hired me to investigate his disappearance and you're like it's been a day and they're like oh no right. it's been some time it's been like two weeks since he was mm-hmm. gone right right yeah so i'd say the book is very very close and um there's nothing that's like completely different mm-hmm. in the movie that okay. than the, than what's in the book um, i was i was curious because the movie also in a number of ways gives me a fight club vibe where yeah. a lot of the movie you know in addition to sort of lampooning this empty consumerist culture also um is kind of big on on toxic masculinity and and those ideas and it also i feel like you know in an, the way that fight club I, I think not nearly to the degree fight club is but i think a lot of people maybe misinterpret or miss that portion of this movie and just see it as like a critique of consumerist capitalism or something like that and like I, I was that's why i was kind of curious if it like i know a lot of people talk about differences between the book and the movie of fight club and i wondered mm-hmm. if that had been the same case here I, I feel like there's a good no, it's, it's very close. Yeah, Brady Snellis likes the movie. He says it. You know, okay, he does a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so. like the him confessing at the end happens in the book. Yeah, him like not being believed happens in the book. The whole like police chasing him and helicopters and all that that mm-hmm. that whole thing does happen in the book too. Yeah, and that's like it, it's interesting because that's the only moment in the book where it actually switches to third person during that whole chase sequence. So interesting. That's a fun. I don't know a, why. That's a but fun fun technique you can use like only in because the, the rest version. of the book is yeah. all first person, and then that one thing is third person. 
And it's like a it's an a, a whole action sequence in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole movie gets summed up with one of Patrick Bateman's earlier lines when he's in he's in the the limo with Reese Witherspoon. He's listening to some music, not really paying attention to her, mm-hmm. and he says, "I just want to fit in." Do one. Get married, have a wedding. No, I can't take the time off work. Your father practically owns the company. You can do anything you like, silly. I don't want to talk about it. I hate that job anyway. See why you just don't quit. Because I want to fit in. That's all he wants to do is yep. fit in. He just wants to be... I think you're be... absolutely right. I mean, that's clearly his main motivation mm-hmm. for everything is just trying to be... Like, even the, the fact that he goes on long diatribes about pop music and explicitly talks about he's like oh man i much preferred their music like the huey lewis music when he's like when they got more commercial Mm -hmm. and specifically he's like i like them once they became the thing to like yeah and and i Mm -hmm. think that is yeah i think that's a really interesting he's like goes off on long deep analyses that are also at the same time very shallow about music specifically yeah, that he cares is about music a lot very, um, yeah i mean that's yeah, like his I mean, thing he's definitely trying to conform to like the people around him to mm-hmm. fit in to blend in because i think he does feel like completely outside from any other person like he probably yeah. doesn't have any empathy for people whatsoever well and like he does have these like kind of psychotic tendencies inside him or outside of him yeah that's to to be determined but because he feels that way he's trying to do all these other things to make himself look like a normal person in a way, in a yeah. sense, um, you know, to have a nice things to feel, be successful. Like people won't find him. They won't discover him to be this like kind of maniacal person on the other side. Right. And at the same time, I, he also has like, you know, in his own head, he is always just far superior to everybody, whether it's clear or not. Like he's like, you know, he's also yeah. maybe very he does something better. Yeah, but yeah, like when he says like, we even go to the same barber, but I have the better haircut. Like no matter yeah, I mean, what. Yeah, that's no matter what. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> even if they like they were the same, he was the same as someone else in his head. He'd find he'd always be like, you know, obviously I'm much better than him. Doesn't matter why. Mm-hmm. He's like trying to point out people like he sees the Trumps like two times. Yep. Like, is that Ivanka Trump? Mm-hmm. He does. <laughs> he looks over like breaks conversation. He wants to be able to know that Somebody. the other person like knows that he knows them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He wants them to feel jealous. Oh, he knows Ivanka Trump. <laughs> and, th- and I think too, what's happening in here, which I mean, is obvious because we're talking about like consumerism culture mm-hmm. is like, are you your stuff? Like is yeah. your, your stuff or is you like, is that your identity? Like having nice stuff makes you feel like a better person. I think it does. Well, and I think, and in the eighties too, with the like, yeah, the, the it does. It does. symbols of like a stereo or a television, mm-hmm. a video camera. He's got all three of those. I mean, the big text. Yeah. You have to find, I mean, every, it's nice to have nice things. I agree with that. And And, and you probably want those things, but at the same time, like don't let those things become you. Yeah. That's the, and that's kind of the point is like, yeah, those things are essentially are defining every single person in this world. I feel like that defines the decades where that stuff was coming up. Cause imagine like your dad bringing home like a TV or like a nice stereo and how proud of you. It he sure. is like showing yeah. off to sure. the family. Yep. You know? Sure. I mean, that's the kickoff of the whole thing. You yeah. Know? And it I, starts yeah. there and it continues and then it mm-hmm. gets to a point where it, people are actually conscious. Like, it's true. In probably the 80s, by the two thousands, really, like, oh, we're buying a lot of yeah, stuff. You buy exactly. A computer, yeah. You, buy you really saw the keeping up with the Joneses kind of, of mindset. I think mm-hmm. really yeah. emerged. See, and that leads to people feeling more sad. You know, the yeah. pursuit to try to like have better stuff because other people have nice stuff <laughs> and like striving for that. Like for a great movie about it. Watch Keeping Up with the Joneses with David Duchovny. And it's analogized with the business card. 
And that, yeah. could be, that could be replacement for anything, a lawnmower or a TV. Yep. And it's something like business cards is really interesting because it seems like something very insignificant. Like well, how many yeah. business cards do you spend more than two seconds looking at aside from just trying to find the phone number? That's exactly. Well, <laughs> like that's sort of the uh, my favorite part of that. The business card scene is that, you know, they're all obsessing over these minor variations, but the content of the cards themselves are all exactly the same and it feeding into especially in that scene one of the, my absolute favorite things which we talked about a lot in part one was misnaming everybody no mm-hmm. one realizes who anybody else is because they're all completely interchangeable so yeah i mentioned and that yeah in, in you part did one and, and, and it, this scene that's was a running so thing good, through the book they're comparing, and the movie yeah they're comparing cards where every one of them has the same title the same overall layout and like the so that the only thing that can differentiate them are minor variations in like the color of the card or how the font yep. is embossed and it's it's just it's such a good encapsulation of like what they're trying to do. We should probably do some uh, corrections too. Yeah, go ahead. Ooh. Justin Theroux is in this he movie. Is. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the other guy's name who is in Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, he's in this. The guy that plays Gavin Belson in Silicon Valley. Yeah, the, he, he plays that the other was him. Guy. I didn't even realize yeah. that was him. He has oh, wait, he has, with Patrick Oh, what, is, he what would you even call that haircut? The mushroom top? Wolf, that guy's style is off the... Ch- Everyone else looks the same, and then that dude just looks different. He stands out. And because of it... It works. Bateman <laughs> just loathes him because he's so different than the rest of those dudes. Like, he's wearing a weird colorful vest or yep. a bow tie, and yep. no one else does. And yeah, Bateman, like in the uh, business card scene, doesn't even look at him. He's deliberately looking away from him the entire time. He's also sleeping with his wife. Patrick yes. Bateman is sleeping with yes. Gavin Belson's wife. It's so wife. interesting. Like, right. again, and that's an interesting choices. relationship, too. Like, I feel like he actually does love that girl. I think so. I felt mm-hmm. like he loved her, which was it like the only like love that he actually experienced. Yeah. Yeah, because he was the, that was the only, well, I'm like, maybe not the only, but she was, it was a girl in the movie that he didn't commit any sort of violent act towards. Or like say anything like really that mean to mm-hmm. like every because he treats women as property for, for oh yeah you know and that's another just part of the status symbol even and she's trying he's yeah. trying to convince her to leave the Gavin Belson guy yeah Matt Ross is uh, Gavin Matt Ross Belson. Matt Ross okay. wow I yeah, I didn't even catch that that's the same guy wow yep and we did not mention his wife at all no. or no. fiance Samantha Mathis yeah Samantha Mathis is the character mm-hmm. so the Super Mario Brothers movie. She is in that. <laughs> she plays Daisy in this. She was in a bunch of movies in the 90s. And she's still working today. I was like, oh, that's a good casting in this film for sure. So what is the consensus about the ending? So uh, before we get into that, there's I, something I never noticed before. And it's not even really mentioned in the movie. There's a few shots of pills. Yep. He, he's like definitely taking he's like on, some sort of medication. Yeah, he's on some sort of psychotic it's like taking like psychotic yeah. medication it's, or something. It's never like said explicit anywhere in the film. I think there's like one scene where he sets a pill bottle down. Maybe yep. he takes them. Pretty at some early point. in the film, there's the shot where he yeah he takes one and, he put, and there's yeah. a close up on the bottle just because his name's on it. It doesn't sure. really have any other explanation about what kind of medication it is. Right. So he could be having psychotic episodes. Yes. I think uh, for me, it's hard to say though. But there are yeah, it's up to you to interpret the ending. I, to, to me, it is. You just, like it literally doesn't matter like i think yeah it really doesn't matter i think well i think the point is that it doesn't matter because yeah that's true as the movie progresses the thing that he the movie his descent sort of into this in the murderous rage is his true personality suddenly becoming something so he is suddenly becoming an individual when he obsesses about fitting in with everything else and you know being the same as all these other guys or slightly better and 
at the end finally sort of almost fully embraces that he is not like anybody else. And he's like, his confession is almost him being like, that's right, world, I'm different. (laughs) And then the ending is basically him realizing either it didn't matter or that wasn't me all along and we're back to square one. Like, it's literally almost the same shot that the movie ends with that it began with. The last sentence of the movie is that all of it has been pointless. One of my favorite... This is not an exit. (laughs) Yes, that is one of my favorite shots. And that's actually in the movie. uh, Right over his shoulder. That's the last line of the book. This is not an exit on the door. I thought that was such a good way of framing that in there. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of good really frame like frame ones where the when he's killing Jared Leto's character, there's like the other painting in his house that is like an actual painting of him, not the blob painting, is like right over his shoulder, and she's just looking away from like what he's doing, and that's a re- I, think, I was like, I, that has to be some deliberate framing. Oh, there, I really yeah. like yeah. how they did it. Everything in this movie is purposeful. Oh man, it's so the production design and yeah, the choice of the shots they use are just really interesting. I, I'm sure. Yeah, I, every I time even I think watch like this the movie, stark whiteness of the opening and everything, it just mm-hmm. feels like so clean and pristine, yeah. and like they try to shatter very that. sterile. Through the rest of the movie. There's a lot of really cool uses of lighting, especially with his face. The entire movie, like, it, his face is almost always either, like, one side is lit and the other side is not. And it's a very clear choice. Like, there's he so looks, many he times. Changed, he looks I mean, different. Right in the, the beginning, film. when he's peeing with the, in front of the Les Mis mm-hmm. poster, which was a cool, another cool, really deliberate shot, where it's like, half his face is in shadow in the reflection um, mm-hmm. of the, the picture of, you know, the miserables. And, like... It, that just continues on. Like every time he's like on the street, like only one half of his face. And like, I like. Sometimes his face is really sweaty. You know, he's like shiny. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Almost like he's wearing. It gets wearing, very sweaty by the end he's of He's wearing like waxy well, Andy, or something. And he talked face. about in, in the business card scene how like absolutely like distraught he gets with the business card stuff. And his, yeah, he is genuinely gets and sweaty. I think I. I don't know. Did you read the trivia? No. I think I read the trivia and it said like every time they shot that scene, he was able to get <laughs> beaded wow. sweat to drip. I'm like, how do you act like that amazing, level? Amazing, <laughs> amazing. By yelling at, at grips. Yep. Turn that light off. Turn that I'm light doing off. the scene. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I don't know. It's yeah. This is again. This is a film where I feel like you could watch this ten times and catch new stuff every single time. For me, I don't know if I'll bother. Sure. But I should. It's it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a, an absolutely it's fascinating film. film. It's, fun to, really, it's fun to revisit. It is. The movie that we couldn't think of in part one, Less Than Zero. Ah, oh, that's what it was. <laughs> Less Than Zero. <laughs> that movie's a lot more meandering than uh, than this one is. Yeah, that's another Brett Easton Ellis book. Mm-hmm. He's only done a few books. I thought he had mm-hmm. a, a lot more, but no. Oh, 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 now you're reminding me. (gasps) He, I forgot about this. Brett Easton Ellis has kind of a um, Kevin Smith type universe with his books. So Mm, apparently one of the characters in Less Than Zero is the brother of Patrick Bateman. Okay. Mm, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You just jog my memory about that. Are all of his novels set in the 80s? I don't even know. I think just those two. Hmm. I don't know his other books, actually, but I believe that that uh, one of the characters in there has the same last name and talks about his brother in New York. What is So what is the interpretation of the ending to you? Mine is it was all in his head. Mm-hmm. It was all just based off Chloe Sevigny looks at those drawings in the book. All, a lot of the drawings communicate things that happened that we saw mm-hmm. and that none of it actually occurred and he either like fantasized about it and 
what sells it to me is when he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment to clean up his mess and it's like spotless. Like he's like not even, he didn't even like belong there. There's another caretaker lady who's like selling the apartment because yeah. Paul Allen's been gone for so long. I guess the lease is gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the stuff before that, like there's stuff on the walls that is like written like curse words and mm-hmm. all this weird stuff in that apartment. And it's just all gone. Yeah. So to my, to my, best of my interpretation it just none of that ever happened because right, it's the only right. common solution unless there's like a big conspiracy that goes like super deep which i don't get why that would exist mm. so right because that real estate agent like she's she's not outright like knowing that there were dead bodies there like she's right. not reacting that way she's acting like a little bit standoffish but of course not, but not yeah. but in a way that it could just be there's the strange man in the apartment and yeah. He's not supposed to be here. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm I'm in between. It's kind of a cop-out. You're out. betwixt. I think... <laughs> I, I, thought that, yeah. I thought of that word, too. <laughs> I think some of it happens and some of it doesn't. I think there's elements like the the chainsaw through the apartment building. Like, no way. I, at the same time, has he... Like, did he probably kill that homeless man? I think so. Probably. I, I think. Know. I think there's... Uh, again, I think that it plays into the my biggest takeaway, which is that it literally like it's both it both happened and didn't happen. Both are equally valid at the end because the whole point is that even if it did, it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it if it was matter. in his head, he's still exactly back, the same person he was to begin All with. All of those city street scenes are just like full of foggy like un, like undertones, and there's like nobody else around during them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. It just seems like very fantasy to me. Like him dreaming, mm. you know, in, in sort of a dream world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean... Baytam asking for a cat. Right. You know, yeah. the, and I the think car exploding. Right, yeah. There's no, well, and like I said, that feeds easily into the pills and stuff, too. Like, seeing the ATM tell him, you know, feed me a cat, is like, you're like clearly like, oh, obviously that's ridiculous. Like, that's in his head. And, you know, it's hard. It is huff. I mean, it's it's obviously the whole point is that he's an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. And it also could be some real, some fake, because there's yeah. the, the scene where he goes into the building, and, he, like, the guy asks for a signature, and he shoots that guy. Yep. And then he goes into another building, gets asked for a signature, and then, he, like, you think he's going to shoot the guy, but he pulls out a pen. Yep. Instead. <laughs> so it was like, did the pen thing happen for real? Like, is he and, like, repeating? Or like, did both things Right. Happen? Which of these are right. fantasies? Like, because so, the, the, the Paul Allen murder does, it plays out, like, a fantasy of... When you just hate someone because you they're you're like they're better than me and I don't need them and like it plays like that fantasy where he's clearly in control the whole time he's laughing and he's like haha I'm gonna kill this idiot doofus and there that the, there was like kind of an interesting um, uh, motif that like, I was reading about with in terms of masks in the movie because he's frequently either like the face peel mask or like the the cold yeah. mask he wears and they talk about like, the mask he puts on to interact with people but at, when he kills Leto in, he's not putting on a mask he literally covers up the suit which is like his he's covering up the part of him he puts forward to everybody else to fit in so the only part of him uncovered is like his head where he's his real thoughts exist and then it goes back to that and split yeah he gets blood on only half of one his side face. and yeah i mean it's it's hard it's i mean it's deliberately obfuscated about whether they do or not i think they do a really good job of you know make you question everything by the end of it at least especially when she's flipping through the drawings and is in his planner 
That's what I think. I think uh, it's a mix of like some of it happened and some of it definitely in his head. Yeah, he's uh, like he he was already kind of on edge and he started doing some of these things and then just kind of like went off the deep end and then got to a point where he's like very delusional and just thinking that all this was happening around him. But it, it's too hard to differentiate between yeah. fact and fiction. And, and, yeah, because I mean, again, it, the world itself he's narrating lends it. itself to to just. And not anonymity, like the the way that everyone just keeps calling each other different people all the time, not like close colleagues and complete strangers. Like the like the one guy's like, "Hey, Mister Smith," like guys never met before, is just like, "Oh, even he's mistaking these people." Like to him, yep. everyone is just, comes that across just adds as the to same the confusion. person. And yeah, so it's like you know who who even is like does Patrick Graveman even really exist at all? Like, and you might not even know. Like he could even be one of these other people that. They, he keeps getting mistaken for and like doesn't he even say that like idea. i don't exist well and like they have the in the business card scene the one dude sitting next to him like keeps you know referring to him as uh someone the else. other guy and then they compare cards which clearly has his name on it like it's clear that he is not the person that they were t- like saying he was and it's never even never even happens either at the same time i think it's also a great moment because it's clear that they're focused on not the actual words or content of the cards, but just the cards themselves and the materials and that stuff. So, like, they're not even paying attention to the names. It doesn't matter <laughs> who it is. They're all vice president. Right. And I don't know. Fascinating movie. I think so many interesting decisions. And I think the ending, too, with, like, the confession is a, a thing that you see, like, serial killers um, when they finally get caught, like, they feel relief. Yeah. Like, they wanted to get caught eventually because, like, they weren't going to stop about themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, him confessing was him just saying, like, I need to, like, end this. Like, I if if someone doesn't just catch me, like, I'm just going to keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, well, at the same time, I mean, he's almost living his own nightmare because the more he does these things that he's, like, compelled to do, the less he fits in. And that's what he wants. So, it's driving more insane every time he's not doing these things so Mm -hmm. it's his cry for help of like please bring me back so i can just go back to fitting in again and he does (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's american psycho man i I, i'm not sure i ever saw this whole movie all the way through before i feel like i've only seen pieces of this movie like there were clear scenes i was like yeah i remember this i remember that a little bit but the movie in its entirety i was like i don't think i've ever watched this whole the way through before (laughs) fascinating no chocolate covered urinal cakes no that's true (laughs) didn't make anyone eat one (laughs) all right we're done (laughs) thank you for joining us on that episode and every episode of our show we're moving into october now and we're going to be doing spooky movies all month long the first one has the tagline this fall everything you say will come back to haunt you Everything you see will terrify you, and everything you hear will drive you over the edge. We remember Joyride. If you had a car, you could pick me up in Colorado. We could have an adventure. You know, the two of us. You'd want that? How far would you go for the girl you've always wanted? Sexy choice. Vintage 1971. How much would you do for a brother in need? Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. I'll drop him off in Denver. I'll see you tomorrow. Breaker one, man. 
This is like a prehistoric internet or something. Can you do a woman's voice? How much fun could you have? Hey there, this is Candy Cane. Who's this? Rusty Nail. And if I were there, Rusty Nail, I'd make you feel good. This is turning me on. When the joke. I'll be at the Lone Star Motel. What room? Room 17. I can't wait. This is awesome! Is now on you. We had a little incident here last night. The victim was staying in room 17. What happened to him? Ripped his jaw clean off. This fall. So you guys ready for an adventure or what? Everything you say. Candy cane. We saw what you did to that guy. You pathetic, lonely freak show. We'll come back to haunt you. You really should get that fixed. Get what fixed? That tail light. Everything you see is going to terrify you. Everything you hear. Who's the pretty girl? He's watching us! Is going to drive you. Go, go! Over the edge. Ah, leave it alone! Please! We'll do whatever you want! I want you two to head inside naked. So, how does it feel to be the freak in the room? Why'd you do it? It's just for fun. Just for a laugh. You don't feel like getting together in a motel later. Room 17. Do not be one minute late. Don't open the door! Don't open the door! So you still good or need me to drive? Ah!